Hello, listeners, and welcome to episode eight of the Brain Rules podcast. I'm your host and Tennessee volunteer, Anu Kumar. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about what Neyland Stadium experienced two Saturdays ago at the LSU Tennessee game, a turnout of over 90,000 people risking pneumonia to support their team playing in a mild monsoon. Today, we're going to talk about the underlying psychological principles that make us love sports, from football to drum corps and cricket to figure skating. One important aspect of getting so into sports is the idea of self-identifying with a team. According to the Association of Psychological Science, it basically becomes an additional bullet point on our identity list. Dr. Daniel Wan, who is a psychology professor at Murray State University, notes that identifying with a team involves viewing the outcome and performance of the team as your own performance. Uh, This is why so many people who follow sports teams so faithfully can be emotionally affected by the outcome of the team that they're rooting for. So what makes a fan stay with a team even if they lose? So one possible reason is the social connection of being part of a fan base. Um, And if you've ever liked the same movie or book as someone else, that's a connection and a talking point with that other person. So when you interact with other people who have similar likes and dislikes, it promotes a social bond that we have evolved to seek. Our ancestors may have adapted this way to survive because if you have more friends, you're better off than just fending for yourself. And even if we don't need to worry about primitive beasts hunting us anymore, we still have this need and desire to socialize. Being part of a fan base fulfills that need. So APS cites a series of studies that one had conducted among football fans in their undergraduate um, with varying levels of enthusiasm. So Juan found that the more an individual identified with a team, they had high levels of, quote, collective self-esteem and positive emotion, unquote, while also having decreased feelings of loneliness and social alienation compared to their undergraduate counterparts who did not identify with a sports team as diligently. An individual will also view a team's success as their own success because of the mirror neuron system. The mirror neuron system is what primarily allows us to learn by watching someone else perform an action, and was studied in rhesus monkeys when researchers noticed that neurons would fire in the parts of the brains of monkeys involved with uh, motor functions when the monkeys would watch someone else pick up a ball, and they would obviously fire whenever the monkey themselves were picking up the ball, but it's so... Uh, interesting that the mirror neuron system exists because you would think if you're just performing an action then that's the only time that those neurons in the motor cortex are active but because of the study with the rhesus monkeys that's how we uh, found out about the mirror neuron system in the first place and because of this uh, fans attribute the the actual fan base's we as me this leads to the flip side of the coin though so which is even though Uh, Fans who strongly identify with their team tend to have more social bonds. They also tend to be very biased towards themselves or their team. So an op-ed article written by Eric Simons at the Chicago Tribune cites a perceptual study bias from a 1951 Dartmouth versus Princeton football game. According to Simons, the game was pretty intense with many players on both sides walking away with injuries and roughhousing that was occurring on both teams. However, no one could actually come to terms with who started the roughhousing. So when the study was conducted, the answer was uh, completely predictable based on the uh, individual's identified fan base. So even if these individuals watched footage after the game was over, uh, just rewatched the game footage, their opinion did not change about who started it. 
and most of the time they would just side with uh, whatever team that they rooted for. So if a Princeton football fan was asked who started the roughhousing, they would automatically say Dartmouth. And if a Dartmouth football fan would uh, was asked who started the roughhousing, they would say Princeton. And this exchange just happened no matter how many times um, fans were watching the footage after the game was over, um, and it just did not change their minds at all. In the Journal of Abnormal and Social Psychology, Albert Hastoff and Hadley Cantrell, two psychology professors, cite this phenomenon occurring because of what's called the Rashomon Theory of History. The Rashomon Theory of History states that, quote, no one can perceive anything accurately through the fog of the gridiron, unquote. And the gridiron here being uh, referred to as the game of football. So what else contributes to identifying with a group or sports team? Turns out very little is actually needed to align yourself with a team. So in the 1960s, a psychologist, Henry Tajfil, um, ran a set of experiments about discrimination among schoolboys. So he took a group of schoolboys and tried to find the smallest, most insignificant thing that would cause the boys to discriminate against each other. And turns out the experiment was very successful because even the task of miscounting a number of dots on a screen was enough for the boys to split into groups and mistreat each other based on how many dots uh, that they counted on the screen. So even though there was literally no reason to do this, they still did this. So let's draw this back to sports for a moment after hearing about Tajfell's experiment. Teams uh, have a number of characteristics that sort out their fan base, such as region, colors, mascots, sometimes even religion, and politics. So in the article, The Psychology of Sports Fans, posted on Psychology Today, this phenomenon is dubbed the in-group, out-group bias. The in-group, out-group bias states that anyone that's in the in-group will negatively discriminate against people that they view to be in the out-group. So if you're rooting for a specific team, you're very probable to show some sort of disdain for fans of other teams because the fans of the other teams are classified in your head as the out-group. So even though many people recognize that the only difference in this whole sports fanaticism concept is the actual team that they're supporting, it's really easy to forget that we all have the same desire to support our team. So Susan Whitbourne, PhD, explains how two separate reactions in sports fans can explain certain types of behavior. So the first term is called burging, B-I-R-G-ing. Uh, it stands for basking in reflected glory and means that just whenever something good happens to your team, you're totally fine with associating yourself with them. Um, the second term is called corfing, um, C-O-R-F-ing. Uh, so it stands for cut off reflected failure, and it means exactly what it sounds like. When your team makes a dumb mistake, you might want to dissociate yourself from them. As Whitbourne comments, uh, it will show you if you really are a Fairweather fan or not. So these two concepts may explain why we act the way we do after the game is over, but what about during the game? So whether you are a flighty or unwavering fan uh, in your fanaticism, almost all fans show... Uh, the phenomenon of disinhibition. So in psychology, disinhibition is basically behaving impulsively in disregard of social norms and even just different from your personality. It explains why fans would stay in the pouring rain to see a game or high-five and hug strangers even if they're normally a shy person. Unfortunately, disinhibition is also the same reason why fans can celebrate their team's victory or mourning their loss 
by turning over cars and setting mattresses on fire. And even though being in the same location as other fans helped contribute to this sense of camaraderie, like watching, um, like watching the game in an actual stadium, disinhibition can still have an effect on fans that are watching from home as well. So a less popular point that was made in a Psychology Today article written by Alan McConnell, PhD, is that taking these arbitrary allegiances very seriously can, quote, translate into embracing larger ideologies, unquote. He notes that if you're willing to completely support a team based on something like a regional area, then you're susceptible to, quote, accepting ideologies based on random factors, such as where you are born, unquote. He uses the example as a natural-born U.S. citizen viewing the U.S. as the greatest country in the world, or someone born in India or China viewing their culture or political system as the greatest in the world. So in reality, it may just be about coincidence. Would I be a Vols fan if I hadn't grown up in Tennessee and dreamed of marching here? I can't really say. But if I grew up in a different state, I might have been cheering on their football team uh, instead. It's an interesting thing to think about because it sheds light on the sense of self that we're all born with and how we so quickly associate ourselves with others from little things such as we're, we're born in the same state or we go to the same school. Sports fanaticism is a very interesting topic because it can range from moms at Little League baseball games to professionals in the NFL, even to cheering on your country at the Olympics. It gives us a great sense of belonging when we're cheering on the same team alongside each other, but don't let it get the best of your behavior. So thank you for tuning into this episode of Brain Rules. If you like what you heard, please share this episode with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe to the Daily Beacon podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, or your stock podcast app. And be sure to check back for episodes every other week. Once again, I'm Anu Kumar. I hope you learned something new today and go Vols.